Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with two very special guests, Sam Lesson, Slow, Finn, and Bobby Goodlot, uh, angel investor and starting his own thing. Uh, Bobby, Sam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Okay, so we're here to talk about the the future of consumer social. Uh, first, uh, Sam, I want you to plug up something you're, you're hosting on the topic. Yeah, so look, I think there's building momentum around these conversations about the future of social, which is exciting. It's, there's been a long period of it not happening. So we're putting on an event uh, on 226 uh, in the dog patch, uh, which is going to be an afternoon where we just pull great people together and do some panels and talks and then have some beers about the future of social. So if you're interested in joining, you can message me on Twitter or cool. add, and we'll, add mention me and we'll, we'll, we'll wire it up. Yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes. People can apply here. Awesome. Um, perfect. So we're, we're going to talk about this, the, the future, but first want to give some context. You guys were at Facebook in the mid you know, late 2000s. You were both very, very early. Pretend you, you were back there. Uh, you guys, you know, we were talking earlier about some predictions you made Sam in terms of in the 2010s um, about what the world would look like in 2020. How has the the world of consumer social evolved related to your expectations? What what's something you expected and what's something you didn't expect? And how how could it have played out differently or, or sort of reflect on how it's evolved? So I, I think that the biggest surprise to me and, and honestly, I probably should have seen this one coming, is just the focus on user engagement yeah. and how that has um really really focused you know, how, how Facebook is structured and how Twitter and how YouTube are structured. And I think with that kind of relentless optimization towards engagement, it actually creates a lot of white space in, in consumer social where certain ideas are, have kind of been vacated because of, of, of how, how driven these companies have been on, on user engagement. Um, and so like, you know, in retrospect, obviously that's something they would optimize, but I think, I think, Folks have generally underappreciated how much that focus on engagement has actually transformed the products degree by degree. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I think, I think that's a really good thing to pick up on. And I, I'll tell you what my explanation of it is, um, which is for the early history of Facebook. You know, the story of Facebook is that it's been a hypermetrics-driven company from day one. It's not really true, right? Like in the early days of Facebook, other than DAU or knowing how many people were on the platform. I'd actually argue like it was shockingly undermetric, right? It was right. it was built around philosophy and around first principles and product feeling and sense in a lot of ways. And there were pros and cons of that. You know, if you want to enable gaze, you can get into. There are some very good properties of that and some challenging properties of that. But really, I think the answer is, and I mean, I've kind of gotten obsessed with this in a bunch of different parts of my life, is the relationship between instrumentation um, and then how organizations develop and product outcomes, yeah. right? And I think the reality is, is like, you know, Bobby, to your point, it's like, Yes, I, I agree with you. I think actually it was uncorking and being able to measure things like time spent and engagement that then led to this feedback loop that then ended up directing a lot of where product went. Um, but, you know, honestly, for the early history, it wasn't so obvious that that would be necessarily the outcome, largely because the instrumentation didn't exist. Right. And I think, um, you know, early days, some of the massive product bets that Facebook made, Newsfeed, for example, 
were, were kind of not metrics driven. They were a, a leap of faith. And in some cases, metrics would temporarily tank. And there was conviction that like, well, this is the right course. So we'll, 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 we'll carry on. Yeah. And that's the magic of having a strong leadership team, right? Is you can kind of blow through, you know, the metrics. I think, you know, there are a bunch of challenges that come with that too. Right. And right. yeah, I think like, yeah, I think once kind of the metrics are set, once you as an organization set what the outcome is yeah. with a big enough, smart enough company, you're going to get what you measure, right? right? Yeah, and, and like I think in many cases, the, the, the changes these products have, have, have undergone over the past you know, six to eight years, um, it's been degree by degree. But if you were to jump back in time and look at how Facebook's newsfeed or how Twitter or how YouTube work today versus then, you know, degree by degree, change, a change of degree can become a change of type past a certain point. And I think they're fundamentally different products than they were then. And so some of the idea space that, that you know, we played around in back then is actually fertile ground for startups, but also for these companies to, to, to re-explore. Well, it does. I think the world has changed, right. right? I think it's like hard to disaggregate the medium from the message and like a bunch of these componentry. I mean, yeah. you know, I was talking with a very dear friend recently about how, you know, we were talking about People magazine. Right. And like the earliest days of Facebook, what was people at Facebook competing with? It was competing with like People Magazine, right? And if you think about it, like celebrities were like terrible in the era of People Magazine, right? If you think about it, it was just like bad. They weren't good. They weren't that engaging. And so your friends were like way more interesting, right? And like I think what we're now entering, which is not, it's kind of a medium is the message type thing. But you look at Instagram, I was thinking it's like my professional friends are so much more interesting than my actual friends, right? Like if you think about it, it's just like the cool skiers. And the surfer chicks and whatever, like, they're awesome. Like, they're the best. They're, like, amazing professional friends. Yeah. But, like, that isn't just about the medium. That's also, like, the whole ecosystem around it and how that's evolved. And so in the last five years or so, or maybe in the last eight years, right, I guess what are the major winners? I guess there's been Snap and there's been TikTok. But it, it's relatively been a slow time in consumer social, maybe the last, last four years, last five years. A lot of startup, a lot of failures. And a lot of those same people who were starting consumer social companies are now doing consumer B2B companies. It's been a slow time for consumer social. So what's going to change? Why are you now excited about consumer social uh, in a way that maybe we weren't a few years ago or that we haven't had big outcomes? Another question to ask is like, you know, what, what enabled breakouts like yes. in the last wave of this? Like how did Instagram come to be, yeah. right? I think there's like a number of answers to that question. One is like, well, there was a new hardware capability of you know cameras on every phone, and that unlocked this new potential for a new format and a new network. Um, and so th you could ask the question, well, what new capabilities do we have now that maybe we didn't then? I have a couple answers to that. Um, and then again, I think um, I think people haven't really. People have been sleeping on how substantially different the, these 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 um, social networks are today than than six years ago. To the point where actually a lot of the old ideas that these companies explored six plus years ago are extremely interesting now. And for example, if I was starting a new social app today, I would think very strongly about what can I build that Facebook or Twitter or YouTube structurally cannot. Do. Right. So what are examples of that? I think there's a couple like sub answers to that. Um, one is like, could, can you build something that, that, that doesn't fit their business model? 
Um, yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. Um, and so in other words, like maybe they chase after you on it, or maybe um, you know, maybe they try to run you down on it, but it's not interesting to them because it's it's just structurally not as good as the you know super high margin ad business. Um, another one is like, can you build a meaningfully different privacy model? Um, so like, I'm actually somewhat obsessed with um, like proximity based social networks right yeah. now, Bluetooth low energy, like you know person to person detection. And when you start a new network, you can set the norms around privacy, and when you sign up, you're, you're signing up for this kind of new thing. And expectations are set right there. And if if an incumbent network wanted to, you know, clone w- one of these features, they would have to, you know, move their existing user base into this new privacy model. And almost the more radical your your privacy your your, your privacy model is, the more difficult it might be to kind of port, um, you know, users who had one expectation to this to this new privacy model. Um, and then you know another one could be, kind of it kind of dovetails into um, the business model one. But like if you build something that is just structurally um, less engaging, I know that sounds you know like a bad idea. But maybe if you, again like you can kind of sneak under the radar, you can build something that um, if if they kind of launched it on their platform um, would would just kind of be outcompeted by the more you know high engaging you know yeah. exciting things and so like maybe like a text-based social network could be interesting just hypothetically speaking just hypothetically yeah i mean i, I wrote an article about this in the information pretty recently um like i think it was like a, a call i wrote i don't know like a few weeks ago and like there's there's basically like a, i identified a few paths i think towards like the new ones the first is i kind of like your ble thing like my basic thing was like I, I, the first thing i pulled out was like leveraging real world yeah. right and building physical community again i think people undervalue the there's a bunch of really cool properties of the physical world like one is this idea of like mutual expense right like it's expensive to operate in the real world you have to move around you have to agree to it it's like time consuming you know you can't be doing five other multitasking things but like that environment creates new opportunities i think that if anything like i think we've walked too far away from the real world there's an opportunity to walk back towards it um the second one i talked about which is, again, I think a little different, but like still related. And this goes into like, I actually think this kind of fits into your, your framing of like engagement metric, right? Um, is I really think there's a big upper set of opportunities around truth and content moderation uh, and curated memberships um, and like things like clear information providence, right? Like the truth is like not as cool as fantasy, yeah. right? Like it's just, it's less engaging. Like, and like that's kind of like one cut at this kind of like, there's real value in it. You monetize it differently. You value it differently. But I actually think this is like a really important vector is like as we go towards a world of highly curated images and like super celebrity and like filters and like, like, look, it's super engaging. It's super fun, but like it will outcompete reality. And so I think this whole question of like reality networks, I think is like an interesting cut. Um, and if you're structurally less engaging, the incumbents are going to have a hard time Totally. I mean, this is you like, know, again, this, to some degree, this is, although it's not a traditional network in any sense today, it's like, this actually is part of the thesis behind the information, my wife's publication, right? Which is like, you can create separate spaces, you will not be outcompeted, right. because you're not competing on the same game, and there's right. value in it for different reasons. Yeah, because I think in some ways, like, the engagement arms race has become this, like, zero-sum, uh, you know, attention war. Yeah. And if you can find a structural way to opt out of that zero-sum game like 
that's fantastic. Yeah, and I think there are opportunities around that. I mean, I think my favorite example I was recently noting someone is like, have you ever found yourself down like a tattoo rat hole on Instagram? Have you ever like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, go like look at like the hashtag like tattoo on Instagram. It's wild, right? And like you're just people are getting like insane face tattoos, right? And you're just like, well, why? And you're like, oh, this is like literally like an arms race in that community for like the most extreme thing for attention. And so like it's having all these like weird medium is the culture is the message reverberations is like I don't think you want to be in the face tattoo race, right? Um, maybe you do, but like you know these niche communities will form and like. You can just see that how the media format is playing out in various ways. I mean, the same thing with like extreme athletes. It's like extreme athletes have gotten so extreme because it's like an attention competition, right? Right. It's kind of crazy how how almost every single industry has been transformed by um, you know these engagement driven feeds, whether it's YouTube, Twitter, yeah, Facebook. I mean, it's totally natural, right? Um, right. Like a lot of job descriptions today versus six years ago are fantastically different yeah you know for better or worse yeah and the, the, the thing i would just call i mean there's a few others we can talk about but this whole thing about new formats yeah. um so here's my thing on new formats is the i think and i wrote about this a while ago it's like to me having a new format is not enough right you have to have a new format that spawns a new graph right. and like it has to be a distinct set of nodes because you have to create new relationships that can't just be copied and that's like kind of similar to your privacy model comment but basically if you come up with a new format, stories being a great one, and you just release it to the world, and it slots perfectly on top of an existing network, they are rightly going to just take it, right. right? What you have to do is create a new format that creates a new set of vectors and relationships that creates a thing that's hard. Because the thing you, that existing networks have a very hard time with is they are still largely relationship-bound, right? right. Um, and when you try, I mean, messaging is a somewhat of an exception to this because it's so low level and abstract a concept that in theory, you should be able to build a plethora of different networks on top of like messaging as a piece of infrastructure, if that makes sense. But um, I think that is like, it, there is going to be, there will be constant format innovation. It's super hard to do. Right. Uh, it's super hard to do in a way that isn't copyable by the existing, but, but it, it's going to always happen. Like someone's going to come up with, and it's partially because it's like fashion. Like I think part of the, there's this cultural thing, which is, Kind of like, um, you know, it used to be like, you don't want to listen to your parents' music. Right. People kind of don't want to use their parents' social network. Yeah. And so, and there, there's actually good reason for that. It's like, they want to create, I think that like, if you think about like social economics and inflation, like they want an opportunity to be great at something and have, and the problem is, is that if everyone else is already ahead in the race, they already have, like no one's going to beat The Rock on Instagram. It's just not going to happen. Like, The Rock has won Instagram, right? And, like, no one's going to beat him. And so, like, The Rock 4.0 is going to be like, fuck, I can't compete as a kid against The Rock. Like, I need a new thing, and they'll create new avenues for that. Um, and I think there's, like, something deeply, like, economic and social about that. So on your point about um, formats not being fundamentally defensible, I, I think I broadly agree there. Although to play devil's advocate for a second, I think we might be seeing, like, an upper bound of, of, um, of like how many, how many, if, if a new format emerges, like how many formats can come out that can be shoehorned into these incumbent apps? So in other words, like, yeah. it, well, it, you deprecate the old ones, right? right? And so eventually like, it becomes very kitchen sinky, right? You, it's very difficult to juggle all of these new uh, in, interface elements into an old app. 
I agree with you again directionally, but I'd argue like I don't think it's that hard. I think you've actually seen that with Facebook. If you're thinking about it to like gracefully degrade them, right. like how many people actually post text on Facebook without a link or a photo or whatever? It's like yeah, I mean I still do it, but like most humans don't like right. Have, and Instagram have in particular was that. like it was masterfully integrated. It, it just feels like totally natural there. So and um, look at some point we were like, is the feed going to get deprived for like stories plus the next thing that happens to be in vogue? probably right yeah the other the other like quibble and again i i agree with you on your point that like formats are fundamentally not where you want to kind of build well, unless the format creates a new graph right if the format can create a new graph exactly and a different type of consumption that's i agree with that then it is defensible i also think there's a lot of subtlety into formats and like tiny changes can create massively different outcomes yeah. so like the example i always give here is like think about how instagram disallows you know, external links. And that choice early on had such an influence over what sort of content and what sort of um, usage emerged on that platform. Totally. Like, had they allowed that from day one, you might have seen something that looks more like Twitter. You might have seen more more politics content, more, you know, kind of clickbait articles. But they didn't. And and what it, like, so kind of small, small variants in, in formats that might look inconsequential can actually have these massive differences. Totally. And some of those, some of that kind of like tiny nuance might be difficult for an incumbent to, to, to kind of pull over one-to-one. And so yours will look a little bit different just because of the, of the, these like tiny variances in, in the starting format. I, I completely agree. And I think that's why, for instance, in a lot of ways, you'd say Facebook actually hasn't copied Instagram, right. but it has copied Snapchat, right? Right. Um, and like that's, stories and Instagram stories are like functionally very similar, but they they behave very differently because of the platforms they're built upon. Maybe there's some slight variance in how the UX works, but like well, tiny I, little details. I also think there's a difference in who you follow, right. right? Like that's the real key is that the Instagram, Snapchat graphs are really not differentiated right whereas the facebook instagram graphs are very different when i so when i think about like how, how to how to think about new ideas and consumer social like a lot of the, like three big buckets i think of first one formats like creating a new format like stories um second one creating new social mechanics so i think the canonical example here is photo tagging um can you create a new mechanism through which people you know engage with each other i think that's like that like social mechanics and coming up with a new um, with with a new fundamental like you know element of interaction. I think that's um, that's been lacking from from both the incumbent networks and f- by upstarts over the past few years. And then the last one is like growth mechanics. Well, like one one idea that I'm really obsessed with right now is the idea of of like incentivized user growth. Of um, like w- one example I give is like think about how. Um, how valuable the first um, hundred thousand or million users of Instagram were. This is the deal the users into the cap table thing, right? Yeah. So relative, this to comes like, up every like five years as an idea, right? Like, so <laughs> the first the first hundred thousand users are Someone so vastly like more important than the latest hundred thousand users, right? So they're adding users left and right, but like that first you know getting started bunch, you know, created the flywheel, and you know you could argue that that they added disproportionate value and maybe they should be compensated. Now it doesn't have to be written onto the cap table, but you know, there are other, you know, 
for example, um, a token or a credit. Well, um, I would argue like this is in Twitter that happened, right? Like in Twitter, I would argue like the you first followers. Yeah, like the, the social re. I mean, all of the early Twitter users who like Twitter just dumped distribution on, right? Like it's like you you, you come across these like OG Twitter accounts yeah. that like of people and you're just like, how do you have 5 million followers, right? right and suggested <laughs> user list from, from like 2007 or whatever. Right. So I think it's like, I mean, I, I broadly agree that. I also think it's just like, look, you know, I think something that people forget about the early days of Facebook repeatedly is why it actually works, right? And it was because it was a small community, right? It worked because it was Harvard only, right? Like Facebook, if it had been exposed to the broad world initially, would never have worked, right? It wouldn't have worked because People forget in that era, people were terrified of putting their names and photos online, right? right? Terrified of it. And like creating a safe space actually was how the thing started. It created because of the hack of using university email addresses and making it small and giving it space to grow. You know, I think that type of stuff is also where you get innovation and difference is like you need consumer receptivity and it doesn't need to be broad. In fact, I think it's better when it's narrow in certain niches where you can give things the time and space to grow, right? And also, like, where there's bandwidth for it. I think that, you know, the reason I think there is a renewed interest in social is not because anyone thinks Facebook and Twitter and, and whatever are going away. In fact, if anything, I think there's a, some people who say that, and they're just wrong. That's not the yeah, future. totally wrong. The future, though, is I think it's very reasonable that most of us will be engaged in five, six, seven social networks, They'll be the mainline ones. They'll be super valuable and super important. But, like, I have bandwidth and interest in being involved in some other communities as well, right? And, like, how those mechanics work and the differences, and I think that'll be interesting, right? You mentioned earlier, we, we mentioned about new graphs. Um, when's the latest time there was an interesting new graph? Or what, what directionally, what are interesting new graphs that people should be experimenting with or trying to map digitally? I mean, here's to say, like, I, I mean, I'm on a few kind of early beta products, right? They're saying they're new. It's more like they're just different cuts, right, of existing graphs, but they're really good cuts, right? So, like, I, I'm using an app I think is really good that, like, kind of feels like super high end Twitter, right? And it's private. And, like, that's a really interesting cut of people, right? And, like, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of stuff out there that people are banging around on. I think most of it's pretty under the radar right now. Um, in terms of, like, brand new graphs, I don't know, like, I'm sure they exist, but it's kind of like one of those things where, like, magic incantations, yeah. where, like, you kind of have to speak the right words to see the world in a certain way to find these communities and these relationships that can exist. It's like That's kind of what I like about social products in a lot of ways, is, like, it kind of feels like magic more than other types of startups, yeah. right? Like, you can build an enterprise startup, it's not magic, it's just hard work and an insight, right? It's like, social, you're sitting there, and you can just kind of like think about the world and like speak some magic incantations into like very high level code and like things can start happening. Now that's not how they grow. It takes a lot of work and consistency, but like there are those kind of fundamental insights into the universe that unlock different relationships. You were just talking about how in the beginning Facebook sort of codified relationships in an interesting way. You know, people put photos on the internet, but uh, and Twitter, Facebook codified, so we're, we're now Facebook friends is, is a thing. Twitter codified it even in an even weirder way, which made it asymmetric. I, yeah, you follow me and I don't follow you. That's a little awkward. I wonder if there's further codification to go, i.e., I think this person's really impressive. Uh, I, I'm attracted to this person. <laughs> like different it's sort like of. It's like I click on a person and force them to follow me, but don't follow them. That would be the third. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Um, and I recently invested in a company that is, um, they're going to swing after LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And that idea of, 
of of kind of defining the edge between people, defining that connection and, and, and specifying it more more closely. Now, I know LinkedIn isn't necessarily consumer social. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but like I think replacing these these graphs that have kind of these these edges that don't mean anything where it's like what is a what is a linkedin connection mean what is a facebook friend connection mean like having a way of specifying that more specifically like oh i you know i recommend this person to do this sort of thing um that that could be you know you might end up with the exact same connections on the graph but because it's more spelled out how these folks are connected and if you have the right user inter- user interface that actually can get that out of people because that's been obviously that's been a huge problem of like when you add someone on linkedin you know it's just a huge ux mess but um i think i think you know you could you could have the same graph connections but like having the edges be you know differently weighted differently defined could be could be pretty interesting yeah i kind of think about graphs as kind of like railroads right like the railroads aren't valuable what's valuable is like the movement of shit over the railroads like that's what you charge for the railroads if anything are a sunk cost now the reason that the rail lines matter is that you you have to build them to the right endpoints right they have to be put in the right places and ideally the types of content like the, the stuff you're putting out over the network um it kind of like establishes meaningful rail lines yeah. instead of them going so like take link right. take linkedin it's like linkedin was a very disruptive company in its time right very disruptive and the disruption was which was insane at the time was this idea that people would just like post where they work and who they are and what their job description is like that was basically company proprietary information right yeah. like and so it was like super aggressive and disruptive at its time but the connection model on it never really made very much sense right. right and like so as a result like i mean i'm connected to like a good jilly i think i'm like i don't know how many people i'm connected to i just like, connect to everyone right and people have different strengths because there's some, no, some people treat there's LinkedIn no connections cost. as meaningful and I, i'm the same way as you i i accept everybody but like it's interesting that like this connection well, because there's no cost to linkedin connection right. it's like if i connect my rail line to you and there's no, no negativity to me it has no cost in my world right, right. And because it's a costless connection, it's like building a railroad that costs something. If you're going to build a rail line and it literally has zero cost, sure, I'll build rail lines to everyone, whatever, right? You have to, like, qualify or create a cost around it. Like, in Twitter, the cost is, fuck, I have to see your shit in my feed, yeah, right? right? And so there's, like, a natural tension. Right? In Facebook, it was bidirectional connection, which means I have to be okay with you seeing my shit, right and that bi-directionality actually was an incredibly powerful limiter because right. i'm like oh man i can't connect to like this yahoo because like that rail line is expensive right and so the question in my mind is like what are the cost dynamics around building rail lines effectively and then the value can't rail lines alone are not valuable what's valuable is the content that flows through them yeah. right um and the kind of the dynamic around that mark andreessen said in some interview that there are no bad ideas only ideas that are too early and he, he's quoting like webvan and and pet Petco or whatever, or the company 1998, Pets.com. Pets.com. Yes. Come on, yeah, how do you forget the character? <laughs> exactly. Pets.com. And I want to run by ideas by you and see if you think they'll all be big independent companies. Uh, Path, will there be uh, uh, something that takes that that place of small social networks? Uh, you know, Cocoon just launched, there's a bunch of others. Uh, Yik Yak, I, location or secret, location-based uh, anon- or anonymous social network. Um, and then, uh, you know, HQ Trivia, uh, house party, live video. So I have the distinction of investing in all of those. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a, I have a couple will you invest here in, too. Will you, will you invest again in them? Like, could you see it? Yes, because the job of early stage venture capitalists is to mostly lose money and sometimes <laughs> make a lot of money. Um, yes. I, look, I think it's really hard to say will... Pa- like, 
will path exist again like i have incredible respect for dave he's a super close friend i was super excited about like some of the ideas behind path will some of the ideas behind path become a thing of course right will it be look like path but i don't know right like is iMessage path like i you know what i mean like it's i think it's really hard to um things do people aren't dumb and ideas aren't new, right. right? And so, like, it's like Facebook wasn't even close to the first social network, right? Like, I, I do think that, like, it find, you have to keep trying and find the right avenue to spark something. I do think something that's kind of interesting that's happened in Silicon Valley and why you haven't seen more consumer stuff right now is, like, times have been too good. If you're, like, a smart, talented engineer or product person or whatever, when there's a gajillion jobs people are throwing money at you and there's a ton of ways to do interesting work, then like going off into the woods and building social mechanisms and screwing yeah. around with your friends is just really high cost. Yeah, right. The second in a da- I actually think the best thing that could happen in theory for the consumer social world would be like some sort of like techno downturn in Silicon Valley. We have a bunch of talented people who can build stuff who have like nothing to do, right? Um, yeah. And they're messing around. I, I don't think it's gonna happen, right? Um, but it is an interesting dynamic. The, the two ideas I'm excited about, and I'm, I'm experimenting with, with both of them in one in one product called Cosign, is this uh, Yelp for people uh, and um, and a stock market for people. And uh, these ideas are that sound a little too early, but they will exist in some capacity. We're starting with only positive, so you can't short people and you can't you know write shit about people. What is it? So, I mean, again, like you talk about like stock market people and like it's like, again, you talk about old ideas yeah. or like Yelp for people. Like, I mean... Uh, it's like, I, I actually think I've personally built like three attempts at this over the years, right? One at Facebook, I can remember that never launched and like a few others internally, like, uh, or like, you know, so I think it's like the themes, obviously, it's like you go from a world where like you're rating and reviewing companies to like what's a micro company or a contractor, like obviously humans need reputation and portable identity and there's a bunch of good reasons that can exist in a work context. I will push you that I think you're crazy to be positive only. Like, that's not how humans work, right? Like, that's not how reputation works. You're not right? going to maximize engagement that way. <laughs> well, it just doesn't, that's not like if you're actually building this and driving it, it's like, here's the thing. How do human beings work? We all have our own little databases in our head and we're running around with like trust edges and we're talking to each other and someone's like, should you work with Bobby Goodlot? It's like, if it's all positive, it's meaningless, right? right? Like, well, I think what need- we're trying to do is limit, uh, have a currency base so you only have a certain amount of, of cosines and it's telling when you don't co-sign somebody, when you, especially who you work with or, or something. More power. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think like these things will evolve a thousand times. It's like, will someone crack like more measurable, specific, high velocity work reputation identity that will supercharge the economy and help people get jobs they could never have those gotten and like degrade the signaling value of Harvard University? Probably, right? Like, uh, you know. Right. Peer-to-peer credentials should should exist at some point. Um, Bobby, you were mentioning earlier new capabilities that you know the capabilities that enabled uh, Instagram. You mentioned the hardware. What what are ones today? Well, we I think we touched on this briefly, and um, my friends are like they're like Bobby, stop talking about Bluetooth low energy. We don't want to hear this anymore. Like you you just ramble about BLE all the time. But I'm I've been obsessed with BLE for a really long time. It's um, a passive form of Bluetooth that has been kind of you know available um and and the apis have matured over the past you know four years especially isn't there a new standard coming um i think there's a new bluetooth standard coming and people are really i think it's really interesting because it's like broadcast mode connection well so here's the thing people people when they hear ble people think about phone to beacon 
that's not interesting to me. I, there was like, um, you know, Estimote, that company back. Yeah, I started the project at Facebook. Oh, there you go. Like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not really interested in phone to beacon, but you, you can, you can do phone to phone today passively. So like, he, here's, here's like an example of this idea, like have a camera app where I open the camera and because we're, you know, in each other's graphs, whether that's by contact or, or manually adding, it's like I opened a camera right now, and then in the top left of the of the of the viewfinder, it says with Eric and Sam, and I snap a photo, and then it creates a like dynamically created shared space right there off the bat. Um, so you know, almost reminiscent of like you know if you remember color yeah. from, from you know from many moons ago, yeah. um, you know the idea of having. Um, these these kind of shared spaces, and then you know this idea of a proximity informed social network. So like other other places you could take this are like um, imagine a graph that is based on who you spend time with in person, and then maybe that graph is dynamically formed. So there's no friend connections whatsoever. It's just like I see Eric, I see Sam. You get you each get plus one in my in my connection list. Yeah. And I see you again tomorrow. I see you again after that. You you rise up the list. Yeah, I do think that. Um, so the biggest I, problem with this idea is is density. This is what kills this well, idea. Is I think that, the biggest problem I would push you on is like why? It's like I get that you can do that, and I would create a different index. But let's go back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like is this going to be more entertaining or more informative or like why do I care? Right? And like I think that's like. I think the thing that, I mean, I get stuck in this too, because you get really interested in like the angles technology can be applied to create different like forms of networks and different right. shapes and different contacts. But at the end of the day, it's like, you either have to entertain me or make me money or like get me laid. Like it's like pretty right. low level stuff. And I think that's the other thing that like is missing. Right? Again, I, I'm not, I'm not rushing to, to build this company just now. And I could tell you a million reasons why it, it will fail. Um, I do think though, when you look at everyone's camera roll, for example, like how many photos are just kind of like sitting on your camera roll that are, you know, dead photos effectively. They're not going to be posted to a social network, but like if, if, if you two had, you know, had some ability to access that photo I took of the three of us, like maybe there's a, a small group sharing opportunity right there. Now, again, the, the biggest, the, the reason why I'm not jumping out of my chair to start this is because of the density problem. Like if you, if, 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 if you follow one person on Instagram and that's, that's all, and they're, they live a thousand miles away, you can still have, you know, a fine experience on Instagram versus unless you have friends who are physically proximate to you using an app like this. Well, what was it? What was it? Which was the Facebook thing they just shut down? That was the proximity based photo sharing. Um, it was pretty Sling, good. Was it Slingshot? Or, I don't well, remember well, the name. There's again, been so many experimental apps. I mean, this is another this is like example that, of something that, Facebook can't, is structurally very uh, um, inhibited in copying. I, I, I agree completely. Well, I'd say there's a privacy. Well, sort of. I think it's less privacy because they can set up different apps and they do have the distribution, which is pretty key for generating density. Right. I think the bigger problem is like Facebook doesn't care enough about this. Right. Because they can't because of how they're currently set up from, and like, I, you know, again, I think the world of the leadership team, I think they can do really flexible stuff and really innovative stuff, but like, it does have to be really freaking huge to matter. Right. Right. And, um, you know, it's really hard to launch something like that because it just, it won't get the love it needs. It's, right. impo- it's just like, it can't get the resources internally. You'd think that like a big company can resource anything to yeah. an extreme, but it really can't. Right. Like it's actually quite constrained in what it can resource. Right. Um, 
Yeah, and they've never really given like a thorough push to this, like the, the, the kind of, you know, orbital apps they've created. So the Facebook Creative Labs apps they made, like they never really gave it the marketing push that they could have given some of those apps. Maybe, but I also think it's like, yeah, it's a really interesting question about the degrees of freedom that a big companies actually have um, about whether you can actually get that stuff ignited or not. Um, Sam, you're about to release your 2020 predictions. I'm curious. 2030. If the, tw- sorry, 2030. And, and It'd be really you- funny to do 2020 predictions. <laughs> I actually should do that as a joke column. I should be like, here are my predictions for 2020. <laughs> that is it's funny. Like, so Dra- in David next- Drummond will <laughs> step down. I got everything right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the next 10 years, it, anything, uh, new platforms that are going to enable huge company, audio uh, we were just talking about you know tokens and crypto and social VR and social. Like- Look, I I I am going to um, my predictions. Yeah, I'm excited about them. I did a bunch of 2020s in 2010. It's been fun to evaluate like with like real records on a decade level, um, and then having to be specific. No, my my basic 2030s at the macro level is taking the huge under on new hardware and new software. Mm. I generally think that like. I looked, in my 2010 bets, I made a bunch of bets about what hardware I'd be using, basically being like, it's basically going to be the same. Mm. And it's basically the same, right? And like when I looked at 2030, I'm like, what hardware am I using? It's like, pretty much basically the same. Like I'm still going to be using a MacBook most of the time, right? I probably, I think VR will be fine. Like I think it'll actually get like console level penetration, if not more. I'm super skeptical of AR. I don't think that's happening in the next 10 years. You know, I don't think all these alternative input brains, I mean, it's kind mm-hmm. of... That's just not happening, right? I'm, and I'm willing to be very on the record about that. I think on the software layer, still going to use Google for most of the sweet stuff day-to-day, like sweet work, search. Amazon for um, purchasing. Facebook's going to be the heart of social. I think there will be a lot of niche. And by niche, it might be billion-dollar, right? right? Like social products that are used by small groups. But like major disruption, like I just don't see it. Um, I see lots of other cool stuff happening and lots of valuable stuff happening. But I think, you know... The internet and technology was a moment in time of disruption. We were so privileged to be born when we were born because we got to ride it in a lot of ways. But, like, the world is calcifying again. Like, shit's not going anywhere, right, um, is my basic my basic premise. I still get really excited about early-stage companies. I invest in a lot of them. I think there's a lot of opportunities. I don't want to be, like, too downer on this. But I think, you know, you'll run, every once in a while you'll run into the 18-year-old who's like, everything's going to change. And, and I, I, I don't know, at 36... I now I'm the old guy who's like, eh, it's pretty much going to be the same. Right. So decentralized social not really happening. Decentralized social makes no sense to me. I'll just put I, it out there. I agree there. with that. And I'm, like, I'm like the crypto guy. I love crypto. So. We both love crypto. Right. We spend a lot of time on crypto. I think decentralized trust. I think decentralized store of value. I can tell you a lot of things I think do make sense because they're worth paying the penalty to decentralize. But yeah, I mean, like when you get pitched, it used to be people would pitch you on decentralized Uber and you'd like roll your eyes. And like, because it's just like that's a fundamental misunderstanding of how tech companies work. Well, right? the question and now is it's like, like decentralized social is like the only thing I could possibly see it being relevant for, which it might be, is if all the core social networks are forced by governments to lock down a bunch, so they really become limited in what you can say, and they're pretty crippled from a free speech perspective. Can you imagine people going to a decentralized, human encrypted network out of necessity? Right. Sure. I, I imagine that will exist, but it's not going to be mainstream. It's going to be like. The underground. Well, with everything decentralized, you have to ask the question, is this uniquely enabled by the fact that it's decentralized? I think like one of the biggest things we've seen in crypto was that this new platform emerges and then people take all the old ideas from, from the last platform, put them on the new platform. It's like, no, it's not going to work because this new platform honestly has a lot of flaws in a lot of ways. And 
end users don't really care about decentralization. So it's like, what what does decentralization offer that wasn't possible without yeah. it? And, and look, I think there there are some key things that do play on social. One is I hate GDPR. I think GDPR and CCPA are the dumbest laws ever. And they're even more dumb because they're basically a bunch of people who misunderstand what they're doing, right? They think they're like giving ownership to us of your data and they're branded really well, but they actually do almost exactly the opposite in terms of what they're gonna play out as, in terms of what it means um, to like have data and have memory. So I think like the idea of the sanctity of memory and securing memory is like one of the big edge tech things for the next thing. That is an important role crypto has to play. And I really believe that will be important. But again, like, do I believe that engagement-driven social networking, people can be like, oh, yeah, I want to pay a speed and quality tax for it to be decentralized because that way I, my Kim Kardashian photo will never go away. It's like actually quite opposite. No, so I, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the where crypto can come into social is in, um, again, this idea of incentivized growth. So to jump back to the idea of like the first 100,000 users of Instagram are so vastly more valuable than the latest 100,000 users. Imagine if, you know, if you kind of look at the network utility graph of a social network, it kind of exponentially grows, follows Metcalf's law very famously. Like imagine flipping that graph. Uh, um, so um, kind of the mirror image of that, of that graph horizontally. And so, you know, instead of kind of starting out slow in the ghost town problem, you know, the, the kind of inverse graph you might call the reward graph. And so imagine by being user number one or by being user number 50, you get, user number one gets a million tokens. User number 50 gets 950,000 and it exponentially decays. And the idea is that by that's, the time- That's kind of how Bitcoin works. That's exactly how Bitcoin works. And so I think- well, like is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is fundamentally a social network in a sense. And it has this reward graph built into it. The earlier you you you, you bought into it, the greater the reward. And so the idea of, of taking Bitcoin's fundamental growth mechanic and applying that to a social network, which may not have anything to do with crypto otherwise. And actually, you don't even need to use um, tokens to do this. You could just do this with like a credit system. You could have it totally centralized. But I do think the idea of having these tokens be you know fr yeah. freely tradable I mean is, is, is interesting. People have tried it. Um, but, I'm not saying you can't try it again, and I'm not saying that doesn't mean you shouldn't try it more, but it's not like it's never been tried. It's like, I go back to this whole, like, I think that might be a nice sweetener on top of a thing, which right. is either going to get me paid or laid or, like, whatever. What do they say? What's the third? It's like... Well, to, to argue against or myself... engaged, paid later, and engaged. That's not it. Um, to, but, to, to argue against myself, I would say one of the, the, the danger in this idea is the idea of mixing social incentives and economic incentives, which I think is always fraught with, with, with danger when you're building a social network. So like the classic example of this from, um, I forget, it's like some economics book. It was like, I ask you, hey, Sam, will you help me move my couch? And you're a friend of mine, so you say, sure. Versus I ask you, hey, Sam, will you help me move my couch? And I'll give you $5. Like, you, you should say yes, because that $5, you, you want to help me because you're my friend. Um, and then that $5 is just like, you know, additional value. But all of a sudden, when you mix in that economic incentive into an otherwise social incentive universe, I, the, the, the economic incentive kind of takes I, over. We could spend like four hours on this. We actually have many times. <laughs> I mean, like, I think the, 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 the real thing is, is that we can all agree that like social capital and financial capital are valuable and exist in reasonably distinct ecosystems. There is an exchange rate between them. It's very 
shitty exchange rate in right. general. Um, and because it's a shitty and and exchange rate, um, the second you start signaling uh, like uh, the exchange rate, it gets all fucked up. Um, but like when you talk about the macro picture, I mean, I, I always say like I think we'll look back upon this period in history broadly, and the thing that like a hundred years from now, like the textbooks will make fun of us for and be sad about is like mostly mismeasurement, right? It's like these guys figured out how to measure a few things. They figured out like capitalism basically and like measuring physical goods you know they figured out these basic measurements and they applied them to everything rampantly and they didn't realize they were measuring like one percent of the overall pie and that's where you get problems like the environment and things like that. it's all a mismeasurement problem and that's where we're like really crappy and so i think like the thing about social capital just to go back to this is like social capital is super valuable i mean there's way more social capital in the world than there is financial capital in the world right and we can get into like my theory on why that is um and there's been an interesting dynamic of the shift between those two and their value relative value with industrialization and things like that but yeah the real lesson is don't mix social and physical capital because you will misvalue the social capital yeah and and also like the more the more your your um your metric for tracking that that social capital um is 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 gameable like the more the more you can play a game to try to boost your social capital, the less it'll actually track the real social capital behind it. What are the opportunities or platforms that will cap- capture social, val- uh, social capital or enable it or um, unpack a little bit more your social capital thesis of, of how they can manifest? Well, here, here's the quick version. The first question you ask is like, how much social capital do you have? Like, how do you value your social capital? And the, the really simplistic game I always have people play is, is like, imagine a devil showed up and said to me, you must either... Give me all your money or give up your identity, your name, and your face, and none of your friends will ever remember who you are again. Which do you give up, right? For me, it's easy. I give up all my financial capital in a second, right? In general, um, I think there's probably a group of people for whom that's not true, but both very poor people and reasonably well-off people will always opt for their social capital over their financial capital, right? And I think that's generally how the world works. There's a lot of social capital sloshing around the ecosystem, right? Then the question is, how do you make it more fungible and useful and, and valuable? Facebook's massive for this, right? If you think about it, it's like you show up in a random city, you know, a generation ago, you have to use financial capital because you have no identity. No one has any idea who you are. You show up in a random city today, especially the two of you, right? You probably have some Twitter followers in it. Yeah. You're going to be able to network to someone who's a friend of a friend who will trust you. And because your face is on the internet and you, you there's a repercussion uh, angle, they'll probably class staff on your couch, st- yeah. stay on your couch. Like, Social capital has become, the internet has made it way more fungible and flexible. Um, that's really, really good for a lot of reasons. It's actually really challenging for governments, right? Because social capital is not taxed and financial capital is. And so if you move towards a world of more social capital and less financial capital, you have a lot of questions about how you fund things over time. Um, but yeah, in terms of where the platforms are that matters, like anything that gives you an identity and makes that identity easier to transmit and easier to hop through the network and be still be you, the better. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, the, the, you know, the whole sorts of nuances about how people store it and against what identities and real names versus fake names and whatever. But like, you know, I think the thing I fear socially is like, we've gone through this phase of like, it's like, I hate stories format. I think it's the worst, right? I think it's like, I understand why people want it and I understand its value, but really what it does is it allows people to take shittier stuff and pump it through the network at lower cost, right? And like takes away the, like, I'm scared to take a photo of this because it's going to stick around forever. It's also super deceptive because it's not like the stuff's actually going away. Like anyone who wants to save it will easily save it, right? Um, 
But the biggest problem is it destroys social capital and the fungibility of it. Because, like, all of a sudden you're erasing memory. You're, like, you're making humans guppy humans, right? Like, where you just forget everything. And that is actually social capital destructive in my mind. Um, yeah. Another story for another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll let you go in a minute. I, I, I'm interested, yeah, to your earlier point about what data will exist uh, or what data exists now that we can capture to create networks on top of you mentioned photos, there's screenshots, there's email. Uh, I'm interested in money. We were talking about Venmo earlier. Like when's it going to be the Venmo Twitter of like your receipts? Like a social I would say network. Venmo Twitter is Venmo. Yeah, but, but like really fleshed out like a social network based on your receipts. Um, what you buy is interesting and indicates you a lot of You create a graph of people who buy the same shit as you. Yeah. You know, Using, someone should do the, 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 the plaid... I bought the same shit as you, therefore we are connected. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I mean, I do think um, like the idea of, of, of owning things and, and being more intentional about those. And, you know, Instagram touches on a ton of this, especially with the new commerce features, but you could build a network around yeah. that for sure. Yeah. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, Bobby, Sam, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Uh, and stay tuned for Sam's future of social event. Our, what we're going to do is yes. a, community, a community event. Totally. It'll be fun. But if you want to join, send, a, send me an at message. Perfect. At lesson. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst.